The Zone with J.D. Dugan, live on the No Filter Network, back in action. March Madness has been absolutely epic. Thought I'd come on here and it'd be the biggest story of the day. And then we had Will Smith pimp hand Chris Rock at the Oscars and all hell apparently broke loose. So I'm not going to get into that much, but that's just a frame of reference of how unpredictable the world is right now. But back to the March Madness, because there's a million other shows covering all the celebrity gossip out there, which and this is not the show. So, all right. It's your boy, J.D. Dugan. Thanks, everybody, watching live on No Filter Network. It's always much appreciated. Anybody listening later or watching later, always much appreciated. So we're talking a little March Madness. Talk, talk the biggest NFL offseason deals. What's the biggest what if for each deal? The best current NBA player from each Final Four school in March Madness. Can the Lakers hold on and make the playoffs? And they're going to go over the best lineups in the MLB and what current MLB players are Hall of Fame bound. Okay, starting out with the quote today. The, this is from Malcolm Gladwell. And this is in honor of the St. Peter's Peacocks and their underdog run to the Elite Eight, the first ever 15 seed in NCAA tournament history to make the Elite Eight. The fact of being an underdog the fact of being an underdog changes people in ways that we often fail to appreciate. It opens doors and creates opportunities and enlightens and it permits things that might otherwise have seemed unthinkable. That underdog mentality, there's nothing like it. And I've embraced underdog mentality my whole life. And I truly do believe there is something to it. It gives you that ability to play with no fear, play with that, like there's no tomorrow. And that's what being an underdog is all about. You go out there and you have to prove it time and time again. And you felt it with that St. Peter squad. It was awesome to watch. And I just wanted to give them a quick shout out. Read the quote real quick because that was one of those things that I'm big on. There's a reason why sports are so great. It's not all the drama and the gossip and the business and the money it generates and the betting. Yeah, that stuff's cool too. Let's be real. It's the storylines, the people, the underdogs, the miracle runs. So that St. Peter's run was special. The world needed something like that right now. And shout out to them for coming through and making it happen. So we will get more into March Madness later. I just wanted to start it out with that. So let's get right into the NFL. So I'm Mr. Optimist more often than not. I'm very optimistic. I like the framings and a positive mindset because let's be real. We need more of that in the world. I'm trying to, what do they say? Be the change you wish to see. Something like that. Now that being said. I'm going to give the biggest what if for each trade or free agent move, whatever the, the biggest couple of deals from the NFL offseason, we're going to go over the biggest what ifs. So when you think about it, every deal, you know, nowadays we like to hype it up, you know, and occasionally they will be held accountable, but typically we like to hype it up. It's flashy social media. So here's the biggest what ifs from every NFL offseason major deal. Aaron Rodgers, what if he struggles to connect with his new receivers at this age? His go-to guy, Devontae Adams, he's out of town. He's in Vegas. So can he overcome some early season frustrations if the timing's off? If, you know, he was expecting the guy to zig and he zags, just the little things. So it's something to keep an eye on. What if Aaron Rodgers struggles to connect with his new receivers? That being said, he has been a master of that in the past. It's still worth watching. Moving on to, from one legend to another, Tom Brady. So one of his linemen retired. AB is out hanging with Kanye. And now Ronald Jones just signed with KC. So what if Tom Brady loses a couple of those weapons, a couple of those linemen, feels the pressure just a little bit more? And at that age, what if he starts to press a little bit early? He could have retired. There's this added little layer to things. We'll see. It's a what if to watch. They still have Godwin. They still have Mike Evans. They still have. Weapons at tight end, they still have Fournette, but still, it's a what if to watch. The O line thing is the biggest concern to me. The AB thing, they'll be fine. Something to watch though when teams get lower on depth. You saw the issues they had last year. Just keep an eye on it. Russell Wilson. Now, this has been a home run trade. I haven't heard anybody criticize it. The only thing I'll say could there be an adjust? What if there's an adjustment to the Denver weather? Those harsh winners. I've said before on the show, I'm a Chicago Bears guy growing up. There's very few QBs who can sling it in that weather. 
You look at Cleveland. There's a reason there's only been a couple guys who have ever made it there. There are certain cities where the weather is a big factor. I do think Wilson has the arm strength. He has a cannon for an arm. That being said, it's just something to keep an eye on. What if he struggles to adapt to the weather, at least early? First season, maybe playoffs. Will he over time? Bet on it. But what if? It could take a year. Tyreek Hill. So what if Tua can't take advantage of that skill set as far as the deep ball goes? And what if Mike McDaniels, who I think is going to be a good head coach, but what if he tries to utilize him similar to Debo Samuel, which in theory sounds like a great idea, but how many guys can handle that wear and tear? That's what makes Debo Samuel so unique. That's the biggest what if for Tyreek. Moving along. Devontae Adams. We already talked about Aaron Rodgers, so let's flip it around here. What if Derek Carr isn't able to make Aaron Rodgers type of throws? I mean, it's easy to say Devontae is the best receiver in the league or one of them. His route running is so crisp. He is up there. But when you have one of the best quarterbacks of all time throwing the ball, putting on a dime, get, you know he could look you open a couple times a game, these little things. We'll see if he goes from putting up monster numbers to more human numbers. Now, that being said, that might not be bad for the Raiders in the sense they have Hunter Renfro, they have Waller, they have a good running game. They don't need to lean as heavily on Adams in the passing game as Green Bay did at times. So maybe his numbers dip a little, and that's not bad for the team. They're winning games. But the concern would be if he's not getting the ball enough, you start to see the frustration, you start to see the criticism from the media. Was it worth it? Did he deserve the deal? Where... At the end of the day, if they're winning games and he catches 85 balls, 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns, and they make a tw- have win 12 games, make the playoffs, you'll take that as a Raider fan. Now it's the fantasy football owners, the media. Those are the what ifs that I would keep an eye on. This is more, I think the Raiders, it's a good move, but what if as far as the numbers standpoint? So, Matt Ryan, what if? He's flat out taking too many hits, and he keeps taking too many hits. He got sacked 40 times in four straight seasons, and he'll be 37 when the season starts. Look, it takes time to adjust to a new offense, timing with receivers, all of these sort of things. That's what I'd be concerned about. Is Matt Ryan going to be getting rid of the ball quick, making those snappy throws, getting rid of the ball, giving John T- Jonathan Taylor early and often? That is going to be a recipe for success. If they have Matt Ryan dropping back 40 times a game, like Frank Reich likes to really throw the ball in Indianapolis, and he's getting hit four or five times a game early at that age, that is something I would keep an eye on because that's why what has allowed guys like Tom Brady to extend the career. That being said, Frank Reich is a good offensive mind. You could see that they struggled to get rid of the ball on time with Carson Wentz last year. That probably won't be an issue with Matt Ryan, and I definitely see the game planning towards – protecting Matt Ryan. But that's the biggest what if four seasons in a row, 40 sacks. I mean, that's a lot at age 37. You feel that. That's the reality of it. He's a tough dude, but you feel it. So the Browns, this one kind of speaks for itself. What if the NFL suspends Deshaun Watson for a significant significant time? That's definitely something to keep an eye on. And then, like I said, I would keep an eye on the cold weather factor. Do I think a young talent like that on the field can overcome it? probably same with Wilson. You give him a year, it'll work out, but let's say Watson suspended a year. Then he struggles his first year in the Cleveland winners where even Tom Brady towards the end of new England, there was a little bit of a knock on him that when it gets cold, the season's starting to wear down. You've taken a lot of hits. He wasn't making the throws. He was early in the year. Now, of course, like I said, Deshaun Watson's a young guy, but if he all of a sudden has been off for two years, coming back from an injury in Cleveland and harsh winter, that's a what if. So next up, the Chiefs. This one, it's a big what if, right? I'm going to say this before I get into the what if. They shipped away Tyreek Hill and everybody kind of lost their mind. Are they going to be the same? Why would they do that? It was justified in the sense he wanted to become the highest paid player at the position all time. And we already see Mahomes is one of the highest paid QBs in the league. You can't put... You can't invest 50% of your payroll into two guys on a team of 53 dudes. It just, it just doesn't work like that in football. No, I don't have the numbers in front of me. It might have been more than 50%. It might have been less. I don't know. Point being, I think it was a, the right move. Now, here's the what if. So what if they look pedestrian without Tyreek Hill? 
what if Hardman and Valdez Scantling, they just can't take the top off a of defense like Tyreek Hill? Is it going to put too much pressure on Travis Kelsey? Is it going to put too much pressure on Juju? That's what I'd watch with the Chiefs. There's no guarantees. I've said before, I think Patrick Mahomes figures it out. I think this actually could allow his game, allow his game to adapt more in this in the sense and evolve in the sense. He loves to hit the home run. I've given him credit for being a little bit more calculated than maybe Josh Allen or some of these other QBs or kind of gunslingers today. But when you have Tyreek Hill in the back pocket, you kind of go back to that time and time again. It'd be like a point guard playing with Shaq. At the end of the day, you could have an open three-point guy in the corner, but you might just throw it to Shaq because he's looking good on the lob. Now, that's not a perfect analogy. Do I think that the Chiefs offense struggles early maybe? Yes, but I think given time, if they can develop more of a run-first strategy, you're pounding the rock, you're keeping the ball more on intermediate routes, and then you use your you know deep threats occasionally, I think they could be just as good of a team without Tyreek Hill. So that's just me. I think they could be more efficient because I think there was times where that offense was leaned so heavily, it felt like, on the home run ball. And when it worked, I mean, come on. I mean, it's one of the most dynamic – home run threat duos we've ever seen. I mean, it's on, I mean, they're, they're up there. It's on Brady and Moss kind of levels at times. And that says a lot. And that says, takes a lot for me to say it might be a hot take, but I think there was times where I can't think of a home run combo in the NFL, deep ball combo, Hail Mary combo, Tyreek Hill, Mahomes, Brady, Moss. I mean, there's not a ton of guys that have historically had that rare kind of next gear with the quarterback to match it quite like that if anybody heard this one and thinks i'm crazy please drop some comments on the zone sports underscore on instagram or tweet me at the zone jd because i might be crazy but i'd love to hear some more all-time hail mary duos in the nfl i'm sure there's some old school ones i'm not thinking of but hill mahomes moss brady i mean they're up there so but it's a big what if can they recover can they adapt i think they can i think andy reed's a smart guy they have one of the best o coordinators in football i wouldn't worry too much but it is a what if so there we go we went through the what ifs thank you for everybody who tuned in for that one it, you know i think the nfl is going to be an absolute it's going to be even better than ever which how can that be possible we're going to see some interesting stuff next year with so much moving parts Maybe the NFL is not ready for this a little bit. As somebody who's watched a lot of NBA over the last two decades, really the last decade you have seen in the NBA so many moving parts that eventually it kind of makes an impact on the game. The team chemistry is a little different, more mistakes, just those little factors. And you really start to see where we might see it with a guy like Hill and Mahomes, or we might see it with Carr. And Adams, you know, the new duos, sometimes, or I guess I should say, whatever. The point being, sometimes things, you know, the grass ain't always greener. Sometimes it really was the fit, the system, the chemistry, and we know that. But with so many moving parts, it's going to be on display more than ever. And I wonder if there is going to be a little bit of this happens for a couple years in the NFL. We see all these super teams, and it goes crazy. And then it starts to backtrack a little. Now, I think the Rams kind of set the precedent because they actually won the Super Bowl this way. They're in a unique spot. L.A., love it or hate it. I have my frustrations being a Southern California native. Plenty of them living here. But if, you have, if you're have, if you in that, um, you're a rich young athlete looking for somewhere to live in the offseason and play football in the season, it's definitely up there. I mean, come on now. now that, that's the point now. Average Joe like myself trying to make it six dollars a gallon ain't treating me too damn good. But if you're getting paid twenty million dollars a year, I mean, who can who gives a damn? So I think the Rams are in a unique spot when it comes to building a super team, like we've seen the Lakers do in the past successfully. Where not or the Warriors, where not everybody can do that for the long run. We'll see if it comes back to bite a couple teams. We'll see which trades really paid off, which teams were got a little too hungry because there was a lot of deals I didn't break down right now. We'll get into more deals next week, but we weren't going to go over every single one. So we'll talk a little NBA real quick. 
talk a little bit of March Madness real quick, and then we're going to wrap it up with about good, solid couple segments of baseball. It's that time. I've been bagging on the MLB for months now. Got to show the game a little love now. So real quick, the Lakers are only one game ahead of the Spurs for the final play-in spot in the NBA playoffs. LeBron in year 17 or whatever it is, 19, I think at this point, I don't even know. I should know. 19. He rolls his ankle, might not even make the playoffs. Anthony Davis has been out. I mean, it is just rough. I always say I got the Wheaties box right here. Sometimes LeBron says things that drive me crazy. Sometimes he does things that drive me crazy as a player. His game on the court since 2007, 2006, when I quit playing baseball and football, fell in love with basketball. He was the guy who was kind of taking over the league. I'm a big LeBron fan. So to see him on as an athlete and, and, and you know, as a person, he's a good guy. He's done a lot of good for the community. He says things sometimes where you go, what is this guy saying? But, hey, we're all, you know, make or have our moments. I guess when you're the, one of the biggest celebrities in the world, you're going to have your gaffes. So the guy is not perfect. But – he has done a lot of good for his community and this and that. So I think a lot of people forget that. Now, the point I'm getting asked to see him miss the playoffs at this point, that is rough. And for the Lakers, it's like, where do you go next? We just did this with Kobe, you know, rest in peace. But towards the end of, with Kobe, it got rough. Is that about to happen again with the Lakers? And now with LeBron, Anthony Davis is looking like just – Injury prone after injury prone, and I have defended him time and time again, but when it comes down to this time of the year and he's still not healthy, just bad luck. But at the end of the day, you need a guy who's going to be there. You'd rather have two guys who are good players than Anthony Davis on the bench. So, I mean, they might need to look to move him in the offseason. That's something I thought was crazy, but I think you have to get a package with enough pieces. Now, that being said, we're going to talk real quick. We're going to look at the Spurs, who are the other team fighting with the Lakers. Legendary Greg Popovich trying to make another playoff run. Can't hate it. So they got Houston, Memphis, Portland, Portland, Denver, Minnesota, Golden State, and Dallas on their radar. So they got about three games in there that you could argue could be gimmies. Houston. And Portland right now are pretty much in tank mode. Their season's pretty much done. Denver's had their ups and downs despite Jokic's great play. The Spurs, there's some winnable games is what I'm getting at. Let's look at the Lakers. Dallas, Utah, New Orleans. Who New Orleans is a team who Lakers are competing with for the play-in spot. The Lakers had a 23-point lead against New Orleans and blew the game this week. So, Pelicans are going to be revved up. They're trying to make the playoff run. They added C.J. McCollum. If you haven't been following the NBA, he's a great player. Him and Brandon Ingram are a playoff caliber duo. That would be a scary play-in team to face. So Lakers, even if they make the play-in game, are probably in trouble. But so they got – so this is who the Lakers are going to face, though. They got Dallas, Utah, New Orleans, Denver, Phoenix, Golden State, OKC, and Denver. So like I said, Denver's had their ups and downs. The way the Lakers are playing, I'm taking Denver every time. And OKC is the, so basically of OKC of one game on the schedule for the Lakers. You're like, that's a gimme. It's going to take LeBron James doing some historic shit for this to work. And pardon my French, but I honestly, there was a lot of people in the media who thought it was impossible that the Lakers would blow this. I personally was like, there's no way. I mean, LeBron, he's balling out. That team has has been built so poorly, and part of it's on ownership and the GM and this and that. And the other part, I've said time and time again, LeBron James, one of my favorite players, watched his career closer than most players and most people. So, I mean, like, I, I understand this guy's trajectory of his career. He If he stayed in the, Miami, never left, he probably would have had seven rings by now. That sounds crazy, but I really, I almost believe that he has four. And he's gone from organization to organization trying to build them up from scratch, recruit players. And at, at the end of the day, this isn't college basketball. You don't jump. This isn't the transfer portal. Like, we love the idea of player mobility. I'm a big fan of it. I think if you're LeBron James and you grew up in Akron, Ohio, and you get the opportunity to go play basketball in Miami when you're 25 years old and make millions of dollars and live your life, why wouldn't you? So the point is, I'm not blaming him for leaving the first time. 
But when you go to a good organization and then you do it again and then you build the Cavs up, and I get it, the Warriors were a super team. That being said, he just kept bouncing around. He's had to rebuild time and time again. It, it's you got to hold him accountable for that. And I'm a big LeBron guy. A lot of people credit him for being the biggest guy who's done so much for all these player mobility in all sports. It's always a blessing and a curse because I truthfully think he probably wins another championship or two if he stays in Miami at least. So that being said, the Spurs got a real chance to make a lot of Lakers fans upset. And I'm sure if you are familiar with that, historic rivalry in the NBA back in the mid-2000s. The Spurs fans would love nothing more after a couple down seasons and to knock the Lakers out of their playoff spot with LeBron. So it's very possible. Let's go back to March Madness just real quick. I got one quick note. I thought this was cool. St. Peter's, this year's miracle team, They had this is via front office sports. St. Peter's had an athletic department budget of $7.5 million. And the, three, and the four teams they faced had a combined budget of $365 million, and they won three games. So they won three of four. They're going up against teams who are literally, I don't even know the math on that, how many more times that is. I mean, $7.5 million sounds like a lot of money, but I guess when you're running a whole athletic department and all these different sports compared to your competition, it, it makes a difference. So it's just a miracle run. deserves a lot of credit. I was going to go over real quick a couple notable NBA players from each Final Four school, but I think because I got a lot of MLB to talk, I'll hold off on that, and I'll drop that later, maybe just put it on Instagram or something like that. So, and thank you again, everybody, watching the show live on No Filter Network, and it's always much appreciated. Shout out No Filter Network, and thank you, everybody, listening later or watching live or watching later wherever. I haven't been sleeping the best. One of those things, a lot of going on in the world. Gas like seven bucks around here. You know how it is. I'm all slurring my words here. It's all good, though, because you got to keep going, keep trucking along. Got the coffee. You make it work. All right. Adapt, adjust, keep moving along. Throw one jab in the fight, throw another jab, and then what do you know? You set up the haymaker and you get the win. Okay. Going philosophical here. So we're going to talk real quick. Current MLB players who I think are Hall of Fame bound when it's all said and done. This is going to be a quick list. But I just wanted to put some light on there's a good generation of baseball players right now. And this is just guys who are, I'd say, borderline locks or don't have that much further to go. And there's like a lot of young guys who have the potential. But this is a lot of veterans. And I showed a little love to some younger players. So we got MLB players right now who are Hall of Fame bound or have a great, great chance. Mookie Betts. Numbers aside, it doesn't matter what his numbers are when it's all said and done. He's going to be one of those guys. He's a winner. He's one of those dudes who just changes cultures. Mookie Betts going to be a Hall of Famer. Mike Trout, lock it in. Miguel Cabrera, one of the best pure hitters I've ever seen. He could have played any generation and been a star. Albert Pujols, speaking of Pujols, coming back to the Cardinals on a deal, that is great news for baseball. Leaves him in a little DH role, pinch hitter. Who knows at this point how old Albert Pujols is because there's been rumors that he could have had a false birth certificate, and that's not me spitting rumors out there. That's just what has been leaked around the baseball community. Now, that's just me. I'm not speculating there. But the fact he's still doing it deserves a lot of respect. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. Albert Pujols, I mean, he could have retired 10 years ago and been a Hall of Famer. Yadier Molina, his, his current, I would say his former teammate, current teammate again with the Cardinals, He's going to be a Hall of Famer, one of the best defensive catchers of all time, kind of the Pudge Rodriguez of this era, just that dude behind the plate. Buster Posey deserves a lot of credit too, but with the glove, the audio was on a different level, one of the best of all time. Jose Altuve, love him or hate him, a lot of people don't like the Astros. He's on track for a Hall of Fame career. If he has another couple seasons, like he's been constantly just performing year after year after year, I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. I'll try to pull up his stats real quick just to give some perspective of how impressive Altuve's been. And you can make the argument, you know, they have the cheating thing, but it's an MVP, seven-time All-Star. He's won the World Series, three-time batting uh, champ. And truthfully, he's just one of the rare pure hitters in today's game. He's got a chance. Let's see how old Altuve is, just to fact check here. He's 31. He has a... 
outside shot at making 3,000 hits. So he might not be a lock right now. But I would say Jose Altuve is on track to have – he's going to be in the conversation. So next up, Joey Votto, another one of those guys who he might not be there right now. But when you look back at his career, how highly regarded he is by fans in the media, we've seen in recent years that does have an impact on voting. Sadly enough, we're all human. The human element's there. He's an MVP. He's a six-time All-Star. And I would expect Joey Votto to be a Hall of Famer. Is he? He's kind of in that category of like a Todd Helton, where he's not going to get in first ballot, but I think eventually you give him time, he's going to get in. So keeping the list going here, Nolan Arenado. And if you can hear a dog barking in the background, I apologize. Still got some Chihuahua action. Right as I'm being professional, giving one of my best lists on the show. Got the Chihuahua going crazy. Maybe we should do a bark counter, but I might be the only one hearing it. I hope. But Nolan Arenado, probably the current MLB superstar who gets the least love. And part of that is I think just that's who he is. He's a nonchalant dude. You don't hear much from him. But let's pull up his numbers. He's a nine-time gold glover. And that alone is going to open the door to some conversations to the Hall of Fame. But his numbers back it up. I believe you know he's had 240 home run seasons couple other seasons with over or actually 340 home run seasons so i do think aaron Otto will get in the hall of fame one day based off his defensive play and his bat kind of reminds me a little of another guy like maybe scott roland where again roland's not in yet might take some time now i don't have roland's numbers right in front of me there might be a little similarities there that might prevent Aaron Otto from getting in when they start you know they love to do that they go well this guy didn't get in and he's got a similar career well He's already got more gold gloves than rolling, rolling, so there's that. Okay. And this is, you know, if you're not a baseball guy, this is probably getting a little nerdy baseball for you. But, hey, it's that time of year. Just wanted to show some respect to how many great players there are currently in the game. Next up, Justin Verlander, generational pitcher. If he, if he didn't have the injury track record he had, which realistically towards the end he started to get hurt in these kind of things, his numbers would have been – unreal i mean they still are unreal but he i mean they could have been really all-time great which there's he's still gonna be a hall of famer you look at his numbers he's one of those guys who you it doesn't justify to just look at the stats and go over oh, Van how good was verlander one mvp he's got two cy youngs he won a triple crown as a pitcher and he has a reputation for showing up a big game so i think he'll be a hall of famer no doubt about it Next up, we'll keep the pitchers going. Max Scherzer, former teammate. I think Scherzer, again, it's kind of self-explanatory the way his legacy's gone. Now, again, the numbers are so different in today's game where we don't necessarily base stuff just off wins and losses like we used to. It's a lot more all these analytics and advanced statistics to determine who's the best and blah, 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 which I, I understand time and a place for all that. I'm a numbers guy when the time's right, but you can't. And let it water things down. Now I bring that up because Scherzer, he doesn't even have 200 wins in his career. I'm sure there would be people out there going, I don't know, Scherzer, you know, he didn't have the wins at one point. But in today's game, it's just we, we don't look at it like that like we used to. He's got 3,000 strikeouts. Again, he's another one of these guys with, I believe, multiple yeah, three Cy Young awards. He's got to be in the Hall of Fame. Max Scherzer, one of the best pitchers of this generation. And his story is inspirational. A guy who was doubted, wasn't a top prospect, I don't believe, or at least I know he had a, a journey to the bigs where I think he played a little independent ball, something like that. We could do a quick fact check on that. Keep it moving. But I hope everybody's enjoying the list. You know, I think the reason I bring this up is because there's a it's easy to just focus on what baseball did wrong and the lockout. But I mean, there really is a lot of truth. Yeah, he had a brief stint in the independent league. So, I mean, that's rare, which if you're not that familiar with baseball, that's basically you're not even on an affiliate of a major league team. You're basically one of the lower levels of baseball. No disrespected uh, independent ball. Definitely some real – a lot of pros make it that way. But it's just unorthodox for one of the best players of all time at his position, arguably. I'm not going to go too crazy here. But you put the list of guys you want in a big game on the mound. I bet Scherzer's making the top 20 of all time. Maybe, maybe not top 20. Big game. I don't know. 
but I threw it all time out there and I didn't want it to sound like a hot take. So I had to justify it somehow, but Hey, he, he could be next up on the list of current MLB players who are probably hall of fame down. And these are guys who, like I said, some of them maybe have a little to prove. A lot of them have done enough. And in today's game, the numbers are so weird with advanced statistics and the way we don't let pitchers pitch as much and batters are on weird things. And it's just different where, I used to be able to just look at the stats and go, okay, this guy's got the numbers he's in. But now I feel like there's a lot more to it. Zach Granke, he's a guy who I do think he gets in. He's one of the best pitchers of his generation. One of those guys, a lot of people in baseball really love his game because he's had such a old-school throwback style. He'll probably have 3,000 strikeouts when it's all said and done. I think Granke's going to get a lot of Hall of Fame votes when he's retired. I don't know if he'll be a first ballot guy. But you look at his career, he's got 219 wins. I know a lot of people don't lose sleep over wins anymore. But when you factor in, he played on Kansas City on some really bad teams early in his career. It's worth mentioning. So he'll probably be a Hall of Famer. Next up, Clayton Kershaw. He's getting it. There's just no way. Clayton Kershaw's a Hall of Famer. Bryce Harper, love him or hate him. I know a lot of people who get sick and tired of Bryce Harper. He's on his, his trajectory is Hall of Famer. Kershaw, mad bum. Mad bum, let's see. Is he on the list? He was definitely on the list. One of those guys who, like, he, uh, you can't look at his numbers and go, how great was Bumgarner? It's kind of like Kurt Schilling, where another guy who probably should be in the Hall of Fame, a lot of people like to hate on for other reasons. But at the end of the day, he's one of the best postseason pitchers of all time. And you really can't, there's nothing you can do to really tell the game properly without a guy like Bumgarner. Those runs with the Giants in the playoffs, I mean, he's going he's gonna to get in. His numbers as far as the regular season won't be the most elite, but you got to tell that guy's legacy because as, as far as just straight bulldogs in the postseason, dudes who you want on your team, he's probably higher on the list than Scherzer even. I mean, he's just one of those guys who went at the big moment in his prime as far as the last 20 years. I mean, him, Schilling, Randy Johnson. I mean, there's not a lot of guys who in the postseason were so intimidating that you knew what you were going to get, and he was on that list. So, yeah, that Bumgarner is up there. Kershaw, a Hall of Famer. Bryce Harper, I was going to say, though, I will look real quick at his stats just to give some clarification here. He's a guy who, like I said, I know a lot of people who have got burnt out on Bryce Harper. He's a two-time MVP, won Rookie of the Year. He's on pace for probably, he'll probably finish with around 400 home runs. I mean, maybe 500 even if he has a, you know, long second half of his career. He's only 28, which is hard to believe. But I think one of the things too with Harper, where early in his career, a lot of people got over his style or he was cocky or this and that. Same thing with LeBron, where you don't have to like them to respect the fact that how many guys have that kind of hype when they're 16, 17 years old. And in today's day and age, we see it a lot more. These kids are getting PR training at like 14. Nowadays, they have it figured out a little better. But Bryce Harper was like on the cover of Sports Illustrated for hitting 500 foot bombs as a teenager. It was a different era. There was very, he was, you know, there's very few kids who got that kind of a spotlight back then. Nowadays, I mean, there's, 30 to 40 kids on that are under the age of 16 with probably over a million followers on Instagram for playing basketball. So I, it's a different, different time. But he deserves a lot of credit. And I think Harper's on his way to a hall of fame career, which for a long time, I probably wouldn't have said, but I do think when you factor in the way he came into the league, the nationals really weren't what, the, you know, they turned themselves into a, a winner. But I, when they, he first joined the team, I could be mistaken, Pretty sure they, yeah. Oh, no, his first year they won 98 games, so I can't say that. But, you know, they were, uh, okay, I'm mistaken. So the Nationals, hey, maybe Bryce Harper isn't a Hall of Famer. I don't know. But next guy on the list, he's definitely going to be in the conversation. Duncan Dad, got to be happy with what the Phillies are doing. Their lineup right now. Next thing I'm going to do on the show, I'm going to try to run through it real quick, his best lineups in the game right now. I bet the Phillies are going to make that list. So John Carlos Stanton, he's on pace for like a 500 home run career. He's got the fourth most home runs of any active player. I think at the end of the day, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Another guy where his career's had so many ups and downs, but you got to factor in he played for one of the most dog shit organizations for so long. You got to give him a little credit there. Now, since he's gone to the Yankees, he had 2019 and 2020 
major injuries. And now in 2021, he had 35 bombs to still be sitting at 347 career jacks at 31 years old and have two seasons where you basically didn't play. I believe he got hit in the face with that pitch. And I don't know, he had some other injuries. It's impressive. Is he the most efficient hitter of all time? Far from it. But at the end of the day, he's won an MVP award. He's going to probably be a 500 home run club guy. And guess what? Look at the city he plays in. Unless you're Don Mattingly, that typically gets you into the hall almost on its own. So he'll probably be a Hall of Famer. Other guys on the list, I'm going to mention two guys who they still got some work to do, but they're on track to be Hall of Famers. Media loves them. You know what I mean? They're the guys who right now give the media the microphone and say, who's the your favorite players? They'd probably say these guys, Otani and Freddie Freeman. They both Freddie Freeman's done a lot of work. He's on pace for, for maybe close to a Hall of Fame career, best one of the best peer hitters of his generation. Otani, he needs to do this for a decade of, of what he did last year, and he'll be a Hall of Famer. I mean, it's so rare. The media loves him. I'm not saying Freeman isn't worthy yet, but there's always been a lot of guys with first basemans. You think of Fred McGriff, you think of some of these other dudes who the numbers are there. But Freeman, he's got the MVP, he's got the World Series. But other than that, his numbers, they're they're really he's a guy who's he's great consistently at so many things that they maybe don't jump off the page like some other guys, but he's one of the best consistent hitters in like every department, year in, year out. And that's what makes him so special. Another guy I mentioned Todd Helton earlier, who maybe doesn't get in the first ballot, but you can look at for a little while at his stats, you're like, he's getting in the Hall of Fame because his numbers eventually are gonna pay off. I think Helton's one of those guys eventually will get in. So Robinson Cano and Nelson Cruz, the last two guys I'll mention, if they didn't have PED issues, they'd probably be Hall of Famers. Now, there's a lot of young talent out there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry, I've been ranting and raving here. There's a lot of young talent who, you know, Tatis Jr. comes to mind, Vladdy Jr. comes to mind, where they do this for a decade, they'll be in this conversation one day. It's just too early to tell. So unpredictable. We've seen so many guys. Prince Fielder comes to mind who they came on the scene if you would have told me in his first five years as Prince Fielder on a Hall of Fame trajectory, I would have said, yeah, major injuries, these kind of things over time take a toll on a guy. Josh Hamilton, when he first came in the league, was one of the biggest superstars in baseball circles, but couldn't get his act together, this and that off the field. I'm just saying over time, shit happens. We'll keep an eye on these younger players, but this generation's stacked. And like I said, athletes nowadays, they might not be, you know, Perfect. I don't know what the hell they're doing off the field in the free time, but they sure as hell do a lot better job at keeping it low key. And it's not like the old days where young guys left and right are getting in trouble for this and that. And like I said about LeBron and Bryce Harper, I mean, there's just so much more media training and the guys are exposed from such a younger age. It just has a different feel to it. So much more professional. You think of the NBA back in the day and the fight in and this and that compared to today. I think of baseball brawls even compared to today. We've come a long way, for better or for worse. I'll, I'll say that because I mean I love the old school scrappy nature. I saw a video on Instagram today. I'll move it along to my last segment after this, but it was a old school compilation or whatever the hell they call it. You know, I'll do a video meshed together of a bunch of old school basketball fights, and I didn't drop it in the comments. I needed to get roasted by a bunch of sixteen year old kids on Instagram because that's what will end up happening. But I was going to say, you can understand why the old heads get tired of the game today if this is what you grew up on. I mean, if you grew up on Ron Artest literally running in the stands and attacking people and, you know, some of those old brawls that the Lakers used to have or Larry Bird punching guys, it was a different era. I mean, come on now. Of course, you're going to be like, dude, these guys are soft nowadays. I mean, that's like how I feel. I grew up watching that stuff a little bit. I grew up playing a lot of rec ball, a lot of scrappiness, this and that. Ten years ago, even different era. Nowadays, people love that Steph Curry, Swing the Rock. 2008 Phoenix Sun style of ball, running, gun it, not as physical. Hey, whatever, teach them. Now, moving along, the point I was getting at is the games have cleaned up a lot, a lot more professional, and a lot of these young athletes who are superstar bound, they have a chance to have long, great careers. We take care of the, you know, when I say we, I just mean like the, the way we take care of our bodies and the way athletes are taught to take care of their bodies and recover from injuries and all these things is so much more advanced than even a decade ago. You look in the mid two thousands, how many NBA guys had their careers ended because of injury compared to today. It's ridiculous. Okay. So the best hitting lineups in baseball jammed through this one. 
And then everybody can go on with their day. A lot of great content here on No Filter Network as always. So the best hitting lineups in baseball. And the reason I say the word best hitting lineups in baseball, because, hey, let's be real. These guys might not all be the best defensive gold glove winning teams, but sometimes if you've got the guys who can lay the lumber, it doesn't really matter. This is in no particular order. Just wanted to run through it real quick. Like I said, baseball's coming up. I've been shitting on the MLB all offseason, ripping on them constantly. So I had to I'm starting to show a little love to the game because that's why I was so frustrated. I, this is what we should be talking about, the good side of baseball, not just how scandal, 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 bad business, bad business. Okay. The best hitting lineups in baseball, Red Sox. I'm going to name a couple notable bats from each team. Xander Bogarts, Kiki Hernandez, Alex Verdugo, Rafael Devers, one of the most underrated hitters in the league, Trevor Story. J.D. Martinez, Bobby Dahlbeck, a young player on the rise, maybe not everybody's heard of, but name to keep an eye out on. The Red Sox are solid. The Dodgers, I almost don't even need to say it, but I will. Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner, Justin Turner, Cody Bellinger, Max Muncy, A.J. Pollock, Chris Taylor, and Will Smith, all capable of being 20 home runs, 75 RBIs guys while batting 275. Bellinger. He's having his struggles in the spring training right now. He's, I think he has like 20 at-bats and 15 strikeouts. A lot of people are freaking out. This has been the weirdest offseason for baseball players after two strange seasons of pandemic-related offseasons and baseball and this and that. Give these guys till May. They'll find their rhythm. There's some dudes in baseball, historically slow starters, finish strong. Nothing wrong with that, especially in a game that's – you know, so longevity-based, 162 games in the playoffs. So let's be real. Bellinger can struggle in that lineup probably till August, probably all the way to the playoffs if he's playing gold-glove defense like he's capable of. But no, if he just has to get the bat going by the middle of summer, give him some time, A lot of, you're going to see a lot of that this year, I feel like, because this offseason was strange. So the Dodgers are stacked. Keep it moving. Yankees. John Carlos Stan, Aaron Judge, Anthony Rizzo, DJ LeMahieu, LeMahieu, Josh Donaldson, Joey Gallo, Gliber Torres. Another team where all these guys could be close to 20 home runs. DJ LeMahieu is one of the most under uh, DJ LeMahieu. It's, I don't know why that name's getting me. But one of those guys who's just a pure hitter, you don't hear about him as much, very consistent. And in that lineup with so many power bats, you need a guy like that. That lineup is solid. The only thing I worry about with the Yankees, are they going to strike out too much? Now, they could be a team who really benefits from whenever these shift rule, rules go into play. I don't know if that starts this year. They've been really unclear about some of these new rules and when they're actually taking place, but they're going to benefit from that more than most teams with so many pull-heavy hitters. The Angels, Mike Trout, Otani, Anthony Rendon, Joe Adele, David Fletcher, Gerald Wal uh, Jared Walsh, who a lot of people might not have heard, him. I'll heard of him. I'll pull up the stats really quick here. Because being a Angels baseball guy, you know, had to show some love to the team. Finally making a little run. But last year, 29 home runs, 98 RBIs, batted 277. So those are the kind of numbers you want from like your fifth or sixth hitter. And that's what he's looking like in the Angels lineup with such a deep lineup. I think Rendon right now might be the most forgotten man in baseball in that lineup. If he can get it going like he did with the Nationals, they have a scary, scary middle of the order. What I worry about with the Halos, as always, is pitching. So we'll get back to that another time. I think next show I'll go over the best pitching rotations in the game today. Padres, Manny Machado, Luke Voigt, Eric Hosmer, Fernando Tatis Jr., win healthy, Jake Cronworth, who another guy who might not be as well-known, but flat-out good hitter. Trent Grisham and Will Myers, two guys who you look at the numbers – maybe not elite hitters like some of the names on this list, but when they're your seven and eight hitters – that's when it gets a little scary. I guess nine hitter maybe now with the DH and the NL. Definitely a little weird. Cardinals, Tommy Edmond, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill. And I'm going to give Yadier some credit for timely hitting. Every time I feel like I watch Cardinals game, he gets like a clutch base hit to move a runner over or something like that. He's not an elite hitter. But again, having Yadier Molina in the eight or nine hole, you'll take that. The White Sox, Jose Abreu, Tim Anderson, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Roberts, who people have compared to Mike Trout. Okay, maybe that's a little bit of an overstatement. Could, you know, never know. One of those guys with rare five-tool potential. Yo Moncada, who 
Another guy who just is a pure hitter, flat out can rake when he's feeling it. Yasmani Grandal, one of the best hitting catchers, again, when he's consistent, feeling it. And Andrew Vaughn, young prospect, got a cup of tea in the bigs last year, had a pretty solid season, but a guy who they're optimistic that can be a star hitter. And it's, again, when you have him in the seven or eight hole, that's when things get scary. I think the White Sox might have the scariest lineup in the league. They're not going to get that kind of respect from the media but if I was a pitcher, and of course I'm not a pitcher in the at the major league level, but I would I assume that's one of the scarier lineups. Now that being said, maybe they have some holes that I'm not aware of. But Tim Anderson is one of those guys who's a pure hitter. Luis Roberts, you don't want him getting on base with that speed. Eloy Jimenez, Jose Abreu, those guys drop bombs. Okay, maybe they don't have the best lineup in the league, but they're up there. Phillies, shout out Duncan Dash, shout out all the Philly. Uh, Philly folk on the, I don't know if people say Philly folk, you know, on West coast, I, you know, I don't know how this legal, but Hey, all the Philly people out there listening on the no filter network, shout out y'all, but you guys got a lineup this year. Alec Bohm, another guy who maybe the casual fan doesn't know as well on his way to a star. Kyle Schwarber, Bryce Harper, Nick Castellanos, JT Real Muto, Gene Segura, Reese Hoskins. I, I think I said his name, right? I might've said it wrong. And then we got Gregorius, DJ, DD Gregorius. Now, the Phillies, maybe they're not the lineup you look at and go, they have one guy who jumps off as the biggest star. But again, that middle of the order is going to be scary. And they have a couple guys mixed in, like Segura and Gregorius, who can be table setters where they do have some pop as well. That's going to be a great lineup. The Braves, Ozzy Albies, Acuna Jr. is supposed to be back. Matt Olson's the new addition. Austin Riley, Marcelo Zuna, Adam Duvall, Eddie Rosario, Dansby Swanson, and Travis Darno. All rock solid. The Braves, again, they're going to be right back in it. I did not like the Freddie Freeman move and the way they handled their business. I talked about that last show. Like The loyalty behind that was terrible. But let's be real. The lineup is nice. They'd probably be better with Freeman. But Matt Olson, gold glove type of player. I guess that you could I could see the move in the long run. I, I don't know. I, I business wise, bad business. Okay. Got one more lineup to go and we'll wrap it up. Thank you to everybody watching live on No Filter Neck. Thank you to everybody listening later, as always. So, or watching on YouTube, wherever. So Blue Jays, George Springer, Boba Shett, Vladdy Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, Matt Chapman, Lourdes Giriel, and Kevin BGO. One of those teams who, if they can get some pitching and they can put it together, they're going to be scary. And that AL East, I didn't even mention Tampa Bay, who themselves have a pretty solid lineup back at it with Wander Franco, Randy Reno. I can't even talk today. Running off, like I said, I've been, I don't know why I've been up since 1 in the morning. One of those weird nights. Just could not sleep. I think I was just so hyped to talk some sports. Or maybe the Will Smith slapping the shit out of Chris Rock just set the world backwards. I, I don't know. But the Blue Jays, they got a nice lineup. Let's wrap it up there. It's one of those shows where I came into it like, okay, I don't I don't know. I'm going to try to like keep it professional. I had to at least crack the Chris Rock joke earlier. One of those things you never expected to see. I don't know what the hell is going on in the world. Now, that being said, one more time, I'll shout out the St. Peter's Peacocks and their miracle run. I'm going to read the quote one more time so we ended on a Good note here. It's one of the stronger shows in a while, despite the lack of sleep. Shout out the espresso I'm drinking. So, and shout out everybody watching live. It's been a fun show. So, this was from Malcolm Gladwell, inspired by the St. Peter's Peacocks run. I had to find a good underdog quote because this team really, really brings this quote to life. The fact of being an underdog changes people in ways that we often fail to appreciate. It opens doors and creates opportunities and enlightens and permits things that might otherwise have seemed unthinkable. That's from Malcolm Gladwell. That is exactly what the St. Peter's team was. It seemed unthinkable. They were this team. You looked at them. They didn't have the size. They didn't have the shooters. They didn't have – there was no reason on paper that they made this run other than they outworked their competition. They believed in themselves, and they had the heart, and they put in the work. I mean, this team clearly had talent and the team chemistry and all of these things. But let's be real. The fact they were such underdogs is what made it so great. If they were a 10 seed even, look at Miami, look at North Carolina, 8 and 10 seeds, more traditional programs, of course. Nobody gave a shit that they were in the Elite Eight. You look at St. Peter's, Doug Edder, Dougie Buckets, 
Dougie Stash, I've heard him called also. You got a deal with Buffalo Wild Wings or Wings and Things or something like that. And they played four games on national television. That's what being an underdog so great. Nobody sees it coming to opens those doors that otherwise, like the quote said, just wouldn't be there, creates those opportunities. Because if Doug Edder played for Florida, if he played for Miami, you know, he had he has that swagger. He's a one-of-a-kind kid, but that's not what no disrespect to him. What made it special was they were the unthinkable. Nobody saw it coming. And everybody can rally behind that. That's what makes sports great. And when we have the opportunity to highlight that side of sports amongst all the bad business and scandals and corporate bullshit and all the other nonsense going on in the world where we have all this drama and politics and Will Smith slapping the shit out of Chris Rock, like things are just at the point where let's have a story like this every once in a while. The world needs it. We need underdogs. We need a reminder that it doesn't matter where you're from, who you are what people rank you or what grade you got in school or what ranking you were coming out of high school or if you were on the dean's list or you weren't or this and that if you go out there on any given day and do your best and work your ass off in life in sports good things are going to happen and whether it's going for that job interview you never thought you're going to get or whether it's going for the win on a basketball court and you're playing against a bunch of guys you never thought you could be whatever it is it's when you have that underdog mentality, it allows you to just, you know, live like there's no tomorrow, play with no fear. And if you take that mindset into life, it'll go a long way because you look at a lot of people who are the most successful. One thing you hear repeatedly, it's got to take chances. You can't be afraid. And that's what being an underdog is all about because when you have nothing to lose, you can really thrive. And, and, and I just think that St. Peter's run was awesome. You don't see stuff like that very often in today's sports in the sense. I know Oral Roberts was another team that had a great run recently. There's always going to be those runs, but you don't see it as often with the big programs and the big money and the NIL deals and all this going on. So to see the little guy make a run for it, I think the whole world was able to get behind that. And in a time where everybody's so split and divided and this and that, to have one team that could be the you know Cinderella run that everybody could root for, I think that was special. I think the sports world needed it. I think the world needed it. I think it translated to bigger than sports, and I think that's awesome. We'll end it on that note. Shout out St. Peter's Peacocks. Their head coach, I believe, is going to Seton Hall. It's going to be interesting what he does with that program because he's a hell of a coach, and that's a program who's kind of been on the bubble for a while. Maybe get them going. We'll see what's next for the Peacocks. You'll see if they uh, stay on the map a little bit because sometimes these, you know, these teams, they're not one and done. Sometimes you can build from there. I'm not saying they're going to be – in the tournament every year, but you know, sometimes you get that first one, you know, you could see them back in the tournament every couple of years, making a little run. So we'll see if they have that kind of a program rejuvenation. If not, Hey, it was a hell of a run and I'm thankful for it. So everybody, you have a great day. You have a great week. Take that underdog mentality into life. Everybody's an underdog. at something. Let's be real. You know, we're all new at something. We're all learning something. You take the best basketball player in the world, put him on the baseball field, vice versa, and they're going to look ugly. And that's just the reality of life. So you can apply that to business. You can apply it to music. You can apply, take the best rapper and stick him on a, you know what I mean? Go put him on the golf course, whatever. I don't know. That was a weird comparison. I need to go get some rest. Everybody, you have a great day. Have a great week. Thank you for watching live on the No Filter Network. And thank you for listening or watching later. Everybody, you take it easy. Peace.